it's interesting that Martin Luther begins his catechism with the Ten Commandments. That was not the way that the catechism began uh, for most medieval preachers who wanted to give basic instruction uh, to the people of God. They began with the creed, with the confession of God the Father uh, who had created us and, and all the details uh, that flow from that in the Apostles' Creed. But Luther began with the Ten Commandments. Uh, once heard uh, it said that the Ten Commandments are God's sacred secret plan for human living. Is that a good way to describe how Luther understood the, the Ten Commandments? I would have to agree with the sacred part maybe, but not the secret part. Mm -hmm. um, what I find very intriguing about what Luther does in the small catechism is that he doesn't use the Ten Commandments simply because they're found in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5. He uses the Ten Commandments in large part because they're as good a summary of natural law as he could find. Now, what that means is uh, there's a presupposition or an assumption that lies behind the Ten Commandments, namely that God, as the creator of life, designed life to work in a particular way. And God wove that design into the very fabric of creation, or you could say he hardwired that design um, into the very uh, creation itself. So that his world or his creation operates in a certain way, particularly as he designed it. For Luther, the Ten Commandments served as a very nice summary of that design. And for that reason, there are elements in his treatment of the small catechism that you may not necessarily find in the Ten Commandments of the Decalogue, for example, the way he handles the Sabbath day and a few others. He saw that as part of the uh, liturgical civil regulations for the Old Testament people, but the literal Sabbath Saturday doesn't apply to us. But it does apply to us in as much as God created the seventh day um, as a day of rest. And nature teaches us that we need to take a break. We can't work 24-7 and um, uh, not break down eventually. So he sees the Ten Commandments as a summary of natural law, or maybe better yet, uh, the law of creation. Um, maybe one way of putting this is to say that the Ten Commandments describe the grain of the universe. Uh, life just works better when it runs according to God's design. Now, let me give you a couple examples on how I think uh, that will illustrate how the Ten Commandments express God's creational design. Uh, even something like the first commandment. Uh, I think there's a recognition by Luther that as human creatures who are dependent on others for life, that as human creatures, we need something on which we can center our lives. We need something from which we can seek, you often talk this way, something from which we can seek identity, purpose, fulfillment, security. Um, but we need someone or something to organize our lives around, to make our lives meaningful. Or take something like the, um, oh, let's say the uh, fourth commandment uh, with uh, honoring parents. There's a recognition here that life just works better 
if children come in by curfew rather than violating curfew. <laughs> or the seventh commandment, that if I borrow my neighbor's tools and never return them, we're not going to stay on very good terms. Mm -hmm. Life just doesn't work that way. Or the sixth commandment, even though we live in a postmodern age, and people don't believe that there is such a thing as an objective law or um, an objective reality, but instead, somehow we can all create the kind of life that we want. Even in this age, I do not think you could have a situation as follows. A young man and a young woman decide to get married. And before they get married, they say, well, let's describe and agree on what we'll each do in order to build a long, happy, and lasting marriage. Now, if we both agree to these terms, we'll be fine. Rule number one, we are going to verbally abuse each other. <laughs> Rule number two, we are going to take separate vacations. Rule number three, we don't have to spend much time eating together or taking walks together. Now, if we follow these rules and both obey them, we'll have a wonderful marriage. It just doesn't work that way. Or similarly, the ninth and 10th commandments that deal with coveting, there is a reason why coveting never leads to contentment. Coveting is going to lead to dissatisfaction. So there's a recognition by Luther that the 10 commandments make explicit, they express the design that God hardwired into creation uh, itself. And I think it's also for this reason that Luther does begin with the Ten Commandments because we first encounter life as God's creatures and we encounter life in terms of the demands it places upon us and the responsibilities that we assume in life as well. It's interesting that, that uh, God has expressed his commandments in negative terms you are not to kill. You are not to commit adultery. Um, does Luther pick up on that, do you think? Does he reflect that negativity in, in the way he uses the Ten Commandments? Yes, plus something else. Okay. I think, first of all, the negativity also reflects uh, the natural law in this, that while human beings cannot create life, while we cannot create community with one another, we are very capable of destroying it. We're capable of taking life and destroying community with one another. And in that sense, the commandments Luther will regard to some extent as uh, protective fences around God's gifts. The violation of them leads to the ruin of God's creation, the destruction of life, the loss of human community, and the like. And so, at least for all people, Christian and non-Christian, the negative character serves as that, um, I don't know if I want to say boundary, but sort of the nature of a protective fence. At the same time, especially in the small catechism, Luther doesn't stop there for Christians. There is a sense where we are to fear God so that we don't violate these norms, but there's another sense where as Christians who live and revel in the gospel, who fear and love God, there's a sense where we go above and beyond the call of duty. So 
we don't necessarily stop with harming or hurting our neighbor in his or her bodily need. Instead, we can go above and beyond and help and befriend our neighbor in every time of need. So in each commandment, particularly 2 through 10, there is a movement that moves from the a negative side of the commandment to the positive side, where you might say the sky's the limit in what you can do. Now, you just excluded the first commandment. You put commandments 2 through 10 in another category than the first commandment. Why did you do that? Well, the first commandment, in many respects, is unique and uh, uh, for Luther. Uh, the importance of the first commandment in Lutheran theology cannot be overstated. Uh, it's important for how we understand righteousness. It's important for how we understand original sin. Uh, Luther believed that the entire book of Psalms were reflections on the first commandment. And he saw that the prophets drew out of the first commandment most of their sermons. Uh, when you think of Isaiah and Hosea and Amos and the like. So what he does is he doesn't want to see the first commandment as simply one commandment among ten. Like the largest pearl on a strand of pearls. Instead, he wants the first commandment to be seen like the a string that is woven through a strand of pearls that unites them together and binds them from beginning to end. So when he looked at the text from Deuteronomy, I'm the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods. You shall have no graven images. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, threatening to the third and fourth generation those that hate me. But what he did is he took that last part, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and moved it to after the 10th commandment. Mm -hmm. yeah. In this way, he allows the first commandment to function as bookends for the 10 commandments. The first commandment is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega of the 10 commandments. Um, you could look at it as sort of parentheses, or he actually uses the analogy of a clasp on a necklace that binds the mm -hmm. beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. In addition to that then, he takes the first commandment and weaves it through the other nine by introducing the other commandments with the words, we should fear and love God. We should fear and love God so that. In this way, he shows that the first commandment is not only the unifying commandment for the other nine, to some extent it's the source. <laughs> so you have, we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use tenet, arts, liar, deceive, but that with his name we pray, praise, and give thanks. Well, what this means, in a sense, is that the first commandment is the main commandment, and before you break any of the other nine, you first have to break the first. The other nine depend upon the first commandment. Because God's not holding your life together anymore. Exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. So what this means, then, I think, for how we read or reflect on or teach the Ten Commandments is this. First of all, Luther does not see the Ten Commandments as an impersonal code of ethics, abstract regulations, or a list of do's and don'ts. By weaving the first commandment through their nine, he makes it clear that this is the personal will of the Creator. And every commandment brings us face-to-face -face with the Creator. Secondly, it means that 
we cannot partition our lives in such a way or to compartmentalize our lives as if we can see our lives in terms of a, a list of do's and don'ts. For all intents and purposes, there is one commandment that is lived out in nine different ways. You could see commandment two through nine as um, nine illustrations of how the first commandment is lived out in daily life. Nine commentaries on the first commandment. Nine ways of, of taking God seriously as, our, as the Lord of our lives. Exactly. Nine ways of taking him seriously as our father. I'm going to say yes, although I sense you might be jumping a little bit ahead to the creed, but inasmuch as it is Christians who are receiving these as the will of the creator, and Christians know the creator is their father on account of Jesus Christ, I'll go along with that. <laughs> I've been wondering lately, as I've read a good deal of Luther's uh, uh, sermons, uh, I've been wondering whether you couldn't say that Luther doesn't have a doctrine of God apart from God's relationship with his creation and especially with his human creatures and that you can't really have an understanding of what it means to be human according to Luther without having God at the center of human life and, and shaping human life around God's promise to be God, God's promise to be our, our, our Heavenly Father and uh, uh, around the response then that the, the commands um, elicit uh, from us because the promise has elicited this trust in this creator father. Yeah, very much, especially on the positive portions of the commandments where in the close of the commandments Luther says, God promises us grace and every blessing, therefore we should fear, therefore we should love and trust in him and gladly, willingly do all that he asks. You mentioned the word trust, and the trust uh, concept, often said with the word faith by Lutherans, is really key, again, to Luther's understanding both of who God is for us and who we are as God's children, who we are for God. Uh, perhaps we need to take another hour and uh, discuss what Luther says about our trust uh, in the first commandment.